0: There was one incident where we raised uh, a concern about a part going obsolete and what you do is to make a last time buy. And before we made this center of excellence to deal with that obsolescence and cost optimizations in one department, what happened is people were happy about the last time buy. We purchased it for another year and after 11 and a half months, they said, hey, we didn't take action. We didn't redesign it. Can you do another last time buy? Hmm. And my answer was simple. Hey, which part of the word last did you not understand last time?
1: Welcome to the Intelligent Engine, a podcast that lives in the heart of the electronics industry, brought to you by Silicon Expert. Silicon Expert is all about data-driven decisions, with a human-driven experience. We mitigate risk and manage compliance from design through sustainment. The knowledge, experience, and thought leadership of the team partners and those we interact with every day expose unique aspects of the electronics industry and the product life cycles that live within it. These are the stories that fuel the Intelligent Engine. Today's Spotlight is on VECE Consulting. Joining us today is Volker Ebert. His first job after graduating as a professional engineer in telecom was to build a tiny bit of the infrastructure of the Internet in the early 90s. He then moved on to become an electronic design engineer at Honeywell, became a PMP-certified project manager, sold the product he designed after working in marketing for a while, And since 2003, he's been optimizing products for cost, a process called component and value engineering, using his skills as a Six Sigma black belt. He's leading the data mining team for component and value engineering for the last seven years, collecting all the component and finished goods data to explore for cost optimization. Volker, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really excited about it. Likewise, we're glad you're here. So the first question I want to ask you is about what your typical day looks like. What are you doing in this field all day long?
0: I'm in engineering. I belong still to Honeywell R&D, but I don't deal with NPI that much, a new product introduction. I'm looking into the big mass of existing purchase components and a big, the big number of finished goods that are being assembled in dozens of our factories worldwide. So, our goal is to optimize all of them for cost, both the components we purchased, as well as the finished goods we produce. That's what we call component engineering and value engineering. Many of you might have heard about component and value engineering and many of you might have a different understanding of these terms. So, let me give you a brief introduction or definition about it. So, component engineering optimizes cost for a given company part number by approving additional and, of course, cheaper manufacturing part numbers for the same company part number. So, in a nutshell, it's to qualify cheaper second sources. Okay. Coming from the other end, value engineering targets finished goods. It is about to do a redesign of a finished good keeping the same function, and in best case, being invisible for the customers. The equal or the better quality goes without saying.
1: So the old adage of uh, if it's lower cost, it must be lower quality. That can't be true in your line of work. No, no,
0: absolutely not. In many cases, we even make it better. We solve quality issues that nobody solved before. So Hmm. quality is equal, many cases better. The company I'm still with, it's Honeywell. You might have heard it if you're in America. uh, It's pretty familiar.
1: Yeah, I'm sitting in a recording room right now and directly across from me is one of those iconic round Honeywell thermostats.
0: Oh, you still have it? Yeah, in America, it's quite it's quite famous. Everybody has it. For the Germans, for the Europeans, we only see them in the movies. And usually, if Arnold Schwarzenegger twists one of them, a house explodes. Which is, by the way, not our fault.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that was not the result of, a, of somebody finding a cheaper part. No, <laughs> no, nope, <nope>, hopefully not. <laughs> Um, Folker, I'd love to hear more about how you got into the industry, what you studied, what your first real job was, and then how you wound up ultimately at Honeywell.
0: You know, I graduated from university at the year 1988. Computers, PCs were up, but the networks were not yet up and running. Right. So I joined a company called Hirschmann, and Hirschmann made the first fiber optical network. And in these days, it was uh, worth a newspaper announcement that we established a 10 megabit link between Stuttgart and the University of Karlsruhe, 50 (laughs) miles away. So that was astonishing stuff. Today, you got your telecom internet connection with 100 megabit. (laughs) every person on earth can have it but these times 10 megabit was a gas and we did build the connections we did build a tiny piece of that internet fiber optic transceivers stuff like that i studied in the university of Esslingen, that's close to stuttgart Mm -hmm. and the university of applied sciences Okay. And people might think that's outdated, but you learn a lot of basics mm-hmm. and basics remain the same. Physics don't change that often. Right. <laughs> I, I never regretted one single day to have it done. Uh, so say low volumes, high quality, high cost, such mm-hmm. a little internet switch that you're having <laughs> on your um, table, maybe with seven parts worth $50 or less in Amazon, that was produced these days and invented and designed buy mm-hmm. me for $5,000. We'll and no one what knew happened. what
1: to do with it.
0: <laughs> right. So then I joined Honeywell and mm-hmm. I did vice versa, big volumes, low cost. So we made electrical thermostats. We connected thermostats with time blocks so that you can have it warm on day and you save energy on night. Mm-hmm. And we sold hundreds of thousands of those.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, that, and you can see that Today, the technology, obviously, our capabilities are better, but the basic principles there really were the foundation for for all the, the climate control technology we have today. When you went to Honeywell, were you actually designing products?
0: Yes, I was a product designer, hardware design engineer, later on mm-hmm. a project manager. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can remember in the mid of 90s, we made these little thermostats, electrical time scheduled thermostats and once i finished after a year my marketing manager came back to me and said hey well done can you do it again for half price (laughs)
1: <laughs> and that was my job for the second year. <laughs> I love it. The, the classic ask that we've all grown used to hearing in, in the last decade or so. Great. It's perfect. Now do it for less. <laughs> yeah,
0: we managed it. Maybe that was the first time I came into contact with cost optimization. I was designing a lot of more wall modules and stuff you have in your office. Mm-hmm. And for a little while, I then went to marketing. And sold the stuff I have designed.
1: How, and, did you enjoy being in marketing or did you prefer being on the design side?
0: Oh, say so the company pays you a lot of money to go to places <laughs> where you're usually uh, paying a lot of money uh, as a private. <laughs> so I've seen many countries and, and cities. So yeah, that was enjoying. You meet a lot of people. Then we invented the company's board of component and value engineering. Together with that, we brought Six Sigma to each and every employee. Mm -hmm. So we said each employee has to be a Six Sigma green belt, and one out of 100 engineers has to be a Six Sigma black belt. Ah. That that was a longer training, four weeks in a row, so I went back to school a little, Mm -hmm. and I went to be a Six Sigma black belt. Mm -hmm. And these skills were useful to be successful for component value engineering later on.
1: That seems like a very forward-thinking move for Honeywell to have everyone get at least the green belt training with six sigma that's that's powerful Absolute uh, training you're
0: doing a little project that optimizes <laughs> for cost improve something so everybody then made an improvement project who was who was awarded being a six sigma green belt and as a black belt you're doing an evilly bigger project
1: so i'd like to um talk a little bit more about how much impact component and value engineering can bring to the enterprise uh, on a fundamental level. Is it worth it to, to expend the amount of resources required to do this?
0: Absolutely. It's a hidden gem. Some companies doing it by purpose, some doing it randomly, but we made it an art, so to speak. The amount of additional profit we make is a bit confidential. So let me ask you in two different ways. First of all, my claim is that the incremental profit and in component engineering is on a similar level than the additional profit you're bringing if you're doing an NPI, if you're comparing mm-hmm. apples to apples. So it's likewise on playing in the same league.
1: Yeah, that's, that's hugely significant. The, yeah,
0: the other... The other feedback I might want to give you is, I'm seriously planning to write a little book on component and value engineering, and the title will be, what is component and value engineering and why is it more profitable than dealing with drugs?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. That is a title that will sell.
0: (laughs) That's the intent. Yeah. That might give you an impression. Yes, it's worth doing it.
1: (laughs) So without giving too much of of your magic formula away, what is the secret to success in component and value engineering?
0: The first thing we did when we started in 2015, doing that as a center of excellence or real business group doing that, is to bring all the relevant information we need to have in order to be successful into one single place. So we established a giant SQL database. And once we have it, it's relatively easy to to squeeze out useful information. So, pieces of that information are uh, what are we purchasing, which are the parts, which are the Honeywell parts, for which Mm costs are we purchasing, what are the manufacturing part numbers being approved underneath one of these Honeywell part numbers. The the other important thing is, will these components become obsolete soon? So, are we on a last-time buy so do we have to take action anyhow? Mm-hmm. And by the way, a lot of these things we are obtaining from Silicon Expert online. Mm-hmm. So talking about the component shortages that you might or might not have experience in your company. Like we everyone all has, right? Oh, yes. Quite a bit in 2021 and will continue in 2022. Once you have all this information I talked about together, it's uh, possible to mitigate the situation for your company. Mm -hmm. So it's not only helpful to save money, it's as well helpful for mitigating these shortages.
1: It seems to me that the critical piece of this, though, is getting that information all together into a SQL database. I imagine that information must be stored in all kinds of disparate sources. You've got local databases, online stuff, you've got things residing in one department but not another. How do you get all of that information from all these different sources into a SQL database. To to me, that seems like the heaviest lift of this process.
0: Yeah, it's two things. One part of the data you got internally and you always say, eat the elephant piece by piece unless you're a vegetarian. (laughs) So (laughs) do it. We did it since seven years and we we added piece by piece. Mm. And the other big portion the other big deal was to get information from silicon expert which really added a lot of properties to each part we purchased it wasn't easy it took a while but it's (laughs) worth it
1: (laughs) i want to pick up on what you just mentioned about the integration with silicon expert can you talk in a few more details about how silicon expert is helpful with that part of the process
0: we use silicon expert to find stock by searching all the brokers and all the distributors. world, So it's not only about the manufacturing part numbers that we officially approved, it's also by alternatives that Silicon Expert proposed us being compatible in form, fit and function. Mm. So we automated all that search. So what had been done manually by human beings in days is now being done with a press of a button and a coffee break.
1: Nice.
0: The second topic about Silicon Expert data interfaces is to have a kind of a warning system that we put in place to know about the components going obsolete soon. Mm-hmm. We talk about last time by. So mm-hmm. whatever parts we have written correctly and we did query Silicon Expert for, we getting a mm-hmm. lifetime, years to end of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we can predict if that part will last longer. Mm-hmm. Or if that part will go obsolete pretty soon, a Honeywell part number or any of your company part numbers going obsolete. Somebody said it's like an asteroid that that is about to hit Mother Earth. It's happening mm. seldom, but if it happens, it will be a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. So it's better to have all asteroids on your radar, yeah, being able to react in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are tools out there like amsis which mm-hmm. offer great solutions to manage these obsolescences. And I remember that there was an earlier podcast about Emsys and Silicon Expert with the CEO of Emsys, Bjorn Bartels. Very interesting, so I can recommend that.
1: Yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's great. He certainly he knows a thing or two about obsolescence. It strikes me as you talk about both of those things, the searching for alternative parts, as well as having a warning system That that really what those things have in common is shifting your approach from a reactive state of mind to a proactive state of mind. So we're looking ahead, we're looking for the asteroids out there so we know about them long before they hit, and we're also proactively searching for alternatives and perhaps improved components.
0: Here we go. Yep, yeah, I couldn't have said it better. The third thing i like to mention is the data quality. That Mm. is fundamental to all we do in component engineering. With data quality and the correct spelling of the manufacturer name and the manufacturing part name. It's
1: such so, a simple thing, but
0: it's such a huge deal. Absolutely. We're dealing here with 50,000 different manufacturing part numbers. Yeah. Sometimes people have written stuff in brackets behind, so that's LM317T, bracket open, do not purchase <laughs> bracket close. Human beings know exactly that's not part of the manufacturing part number, but <laughs> machines couldn't know. Right. And that was a big deal to fix them all. And at the the end of the day, we said, hey, where is our dictionary to see what's right and wrong? And we said, Silicon Expert will act and is acting as our dictionary today.
1: Yeah, that's a big time saver. We see examples all the time where something as simple as a, a name of a Chinese manufacturer that has been translated or transcribed from Mandarin into the Latin alphabet in a different way. And we miss things that way.
0: So, we're proud to say that in the meanwhile, we're coming to a hit rate of 86%, where Silicon Expert said, Yep, that's the exact right spelling. Nice. But of course, it took us a while to come to that point.
1: Yeah, of course. What else, what other kinds of information are you pulling from Silicon Expert?
0: Uh, yeah, once we did have the machine to machine interface. We are pulling, in addition, the rush information, the rich information, pricing, country of origin, alternatives, years to end of life, you name it, the The list is longer. We started to optimize parts, but after a while, other departments in the company say, hey, wait a minute, you have a connection to a database called Silicon Expert. Can you not get us the rush information in in the european union it was a law it was by law yeah. that that you had to be rush free compliant for mm-hmm. each of the ten thousands of finished goods you made made out of hundred thousands of raw material yeah. and it wouldn't be a white ghost chase to to do them all manually
1: i i cannot imagine how you could possibly do that much research for that many parts in a manual way it's just mind-blowing
0: yeah, and then that was the rush and the compliance group. So the, the buyers came. They're happy with our budgetary prices and the alternatives. And then came the NPI designers and the NPI buyers saying, <laughs> hey, it's good to know that so I catch some of the guys putting not re- recommended for new design components into a fresh NPI bill of materials. So they're using our data as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Are there other ways that you're using silicon expert that are perhaps different than what we would expect are you doing any customization with it or any apis
0: absolutely if you're coming into contact with silicon expert the first time you get this great web front end for human beings so you mm-hmm. start typing in a manufacturer part number and boom you get dozens and dozens of properties for that part as we discussed it's uh, yeah quite it's perfect so
1: easy if you're looking for one thing type it in and boom there you go there there are your answers for that one thing but i think about scaling that here
0: we go. So, say you can do that easily with one part, maybe with ten parts, but you don't want to do it with fifty thousand parts. <laughs> so, uh, unless you have enough people to do it for you, so we started to integrate API, an advanced programmer's interface. Mm-hmm. So we now query our fifty thousand manufacturer part numbers, machine by machine, and that was a uh, game changer.
1: So you're you're actually connecting to your component engineering database. Yep. Absolutely.
0: So say we do have a list of our 50, 80,000 Honeywell part numbers. Wow. Uh, we pull the MPL, Approved Manufacturer Part List. There we know all the parts that we are allowed to purchase. Mm-hmm. We translate them with the right spelling. And then we let the machine work to get us, per each single manufacturing part number, maybe 50 different properties. Wow.
1: That, that's powerful stuff.
0: And so we, we query it again, maybe once a week. So we have our radar to spot every asteroid hitting planet Earth.
1: Yes. And I love that's a sustainable, um, system that, that you can, that just, you get it up and running and then you're keeping current all the time and the machines are doing the work.
0: Yep, I'm a lazy guy.
1: I, I like getting <laughs> machines work for me. Nobody likes to do data entry as a human being.
0: Yes, yes. And coming back to the topic, you know, in the year 2015, we made this cost optimization called Component Value Engineering and art. So we formed a center of excellence for the thing. And my former boss then said, hey, now that we have to save so much money, we need to have data on the table. And that's why he made me the data miner. So we had me as a data miner doing the architecture, Uh and I hired two people being the SQL specialists. And that was the success story. One guy who knows about the business and one guy who knows about the programming.
1: That's the winning formula. Uh,
0: Long ago, somebody said, hey, what is information? And I love to ask that question to audience saying, hey, if you had to write a Wikipedia article on Information. What would you write into it? And my personal definition is: information is something that causes you to take action.
1: Ah, um, that's uh, a really uh, interesting definition.
0: Yeah, you spark a lot of, the, of discussions if you tell that your friends, and if you're asking your friends, some might agree, some might disagree, mm-hmm. but at least it will run into an interesting discussion.
1: Yeah. And in this context of what we're talking about here, optimization, that's what matters. Are you able to take action? Are you able to do something with that information?
0: That's what we did. We are looking for high-runner parts that had been never optimized. We are looking into single-source parts into 30 year old designs, all of that good things. And that's what I call information. Hey, point me to the place where we can save money.
1: What's going to be your next move from here?
0: I will leave Honeywell in two months from now. The simple background is that the site where where I'm at is being closed. Mm-hmm. so I took a nice package and too old to start somewhere else but <laughs> I'm too young to lean out of the window staring at people so I decided to get a consultant okay. so whoever wants to hear about my experience or wants to share my experience feel free to contact me there is a web page where you can see my contact details it's V-E-C-E, value engineering component engineering minus consulting.com so I'm happy to hear about your 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 questionnaire, your inquiries.
1: Yeah. Uh, tell me about what kinds of things you're going to be focusing on as a consultant.
0: So in a nutshell, everything we talked about the last half hour, It is. it could be that you say, I'm really desperate to find a second source. Maybe I can help in that. Mm-hmm. Or you say, hey, let's see if what Volker said is true, that you can really uh, make a lot of additional money with component value engineering. So I can tell you what works well. I can tell you what did not work. So why Mm -hmm. should you run into the same problems in the same traps as I did? Mm -hmm. I can tell you what what might work for you, what you should definitely do, and what you should avoid.
1: Yeah, you've learned a lot of lessons the hard way, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) I can come (laughs) to your factory, see your company, look at products Mm -hmm. after 27 years, you get an eye for, hey, is that thing lean or is it fat?
1: Uh And where
0: is the fat to be taken off?
1: Yeah, and that's such a, a valuable perspective that I think it is nearly impossible for someone inside the organization to have. You you have to come in with fresh eyes and enough background to be useful, naive enough to be open to, to interesting, more innovative ideas that somebody within the organization wouldn't have. I think that's so much of the value of a good consultant, just as that fresh perspective.
0: 100%. Sometimes you need a fresh set of eyes to look newly into it, of yeah. course, I don't want to be smarter. I can't be smarter than people who've seen their products 20 years, but uh, maybe course. they went to be company blind after years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's inevitable.
0: There was one incident where we, where we raised uh, a concern about a part going obsolete. And what you do is to make a last time buy. And before we made this center of excellence to deal with that obsolescence and cost optimizations in one department, what happened is people were happy about the last time buy. We purchased it for another year. And after 11 and a half months, they said, hey, we didn't take action. We didn't redesign it. Can you do another last time buy? And my answer was simple. Hey, which part of the word last did you not understand last time? (laughs) It's not the fun stuff that a new engineer from university might want to pick, but it's important. And it requires a lot of experience to do it. (laughs) And if you're longer with the business like me, you understand it's as valuable as NPI. So I can only encourage other engineers to not only think about NPI design, but also about sustaining key products alive. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many cases where where people did so many efforts and attempts to get rid of the problem as soon as possible, but Mm -hmm. for a fortune. So I saw where we replaced the $1 simple chip by a $10 chip where we could have made a redesign (sighs) easily for $1
1: Again, that big-picture perspective is so important. If, if somebody's focused only on on one piece of the process, it's so easy to wind up in a bad place. So,
0: say, if you do not have a department for this kind of work, so, of course, I can understand NPI engineers, they say, let me get rid of this problem as soon as possible, that I can go back to my normal NPI
1: work. <laughs> and that leaves behind
0: a lot of gems, a lot of, I say, gold nuggets that you just need to pick.
1: I want to invite our listeners to check out Volker's blog on his website that's v e c e consulting.com. There are some really interesting topics that he's got up there already and some very exciting ones that are going to be coming up. Volker, what are uh, some of your your favorite things that you've written about so far or that you're looking forward to writing about on your blog?
0: What's written so far, it's more say the basics. Mm -hmm. I'd like to start with the basics what is an approved manufacturing part list what is it good for what is a PDM system also about why is data quality so important why is Mm -hmm. it so fundamental the next one will be a little guideline of how to find components in these times of shortages a little cookbook of what are the tricks to find everyone (laughs) (laughs) yes yes I hope people will find that interesting so the, the plan is to write an article a week. And once I get enough articles together, I will make a book around it.
1: Excellent. And we will all find out why component engineering optimization is even more profitable than selling drugs. <laughs> You got it, (laughs) (laughs) So, Volker, in poking around on your website, one of the things that stands out is the banner about saving a million or letting you do it for them. Tell us a little more about that.
0: Yeah, that's a true story that happened 80 years ago when I started my career as a value engineer. So, I did a business trip to Chicago and by chance met a guy in the hotel who was a senior management of Honeywell. And he said, hey, Volker, nice to meet you. What are you doing Uh, in the meanwhile? And I said, I'm doing component and value engineering. He said, nice. So go out and save a million. And I thought, wait a minute. This guy must have been smoking the wrong stuff this morning. So a million, that's quite a lot of money. And three years after that, I saved $3 million on component and value engineering. So I didn't believe it myself, what he said, but it went to reality. It became true. And yeah, and, and and the other part of the statement is now let me help you achieve the same.
1: Thank you so much for uh, an amazing discussion that was really wide ranging and for being our guest today.
0: Hey, I have to thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure anytime again.
1: I'd like to thank you again, Volker, for sponsoring this episode of the Intelligent Engine podcast and a special thanks to you, our audience, for tuning into this episode. Be sure to tune in for new episodes that will delve into more of the electronics industry. Upcoming episodes will explore location-based advertising technologies and the changing landscape of traditional electronic product contract manufacturing and the government's perspective of the electronics industry. Be sure to share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. You can also sign up to be on our email list to receive updates and the opportunity to provide your input on future topics. Go to SiliconExpert.com podcast to sign up. Until next time, keep the data flowing.